Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this evening is taken from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, starting to read at verse 24. This can be found on page 979 of the Church Bibles. This is Matthew, chapter 13, starting to read at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, as we stand, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray very simply again this week uh, that you would give us ears to hear. But not only ears to hear, ears to understand, understand and to bear fruit to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And um, if as you're sitting down, you could uh, turn back to that passage in Matthew's Gospels, Matthew 13, starting from verse 24, uh, page 979. Um, In amongst the pieces of paper you were given on the way in, there's also uh, a little outline of where we're going. You can use that to make notes or just to 
see where we are. Uh, now I wonder, would you describe yourself as an optimist or a pessimist? Uh, so do you have a, a generally sunny outlook on life? You know, usually expecting things to go well? Uh, or are you more honest and realistic, uh, knowing that they'll almost certainly go badly wrong? Uh, you can perhaps detect uh, where my tendencies lie. Uh, this question, in fact, is endlessly debated in our household because at the heart of uh, the household is a marriage described by a friend of ours uh, once as being between uh, Tigger and Eeyore. Um, I'll leave it uh, to you to work out who's who. So who's right in our households, Tigger or Eeyore? And I guess there are pros and cons, aren't there? Optimists tend to be uh, happier, nicer to be with, more enthusiastic. Christian Tiggers uh, can also say that their optimism comes from their faith, from trusting that God their father will indeed bring about good things uh, for his children. Uh, On the other hand, when something really bad does happen to them, optimists can be, uh, I guess, seriously tripped up by that. Uh, Their faith is sometimes left shattered in pieces. Pessimists, on the other hand, are naturally less surprised by those bad things. And uh, in fact, they can appeal to a pretty large crowd of biblical eors on their side. Think of the, the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah or Isaiah or the preacher of Ecclesiastes. But then, on the other hand, Christian pessimists can be weighed down by their gloom, incapacitated in energy for service. And we might ask them, where's the joy? Where's the hope that surely should come from the gospel? Well, it's very striking, I think, uh, our passage today addresses these very issues. And I dare say, should, in fact, remarkably, resolve that argument And I think to begin with, though, that Jesus does encourage us to be realistic, to look around, and to acknowledge that all around us there is evil. We feel weak in the face of it. And then we look at how many of us there are. It's sort of a false confidence that we get when we meet like this, isn't it? But if we think more widely, when we're scattered on Monday morning, very few of us, disciples of Jesus, It seems way too few, really, with so much against us. We seem far too small to survive, certainly too small to make much of a difference in a a very large area of the country. But, you see, what Jesus is telling us over these weeks is that under the surface, the reality is actually very different to what we see. And through these parables, for those with ears to hear, These parables are going to uncover, unveil, and reveal that true reality for us. For those who come to Jesus and wait for understanding to come, we should find again tonight that these parables reveal some wonderful secrets, the secrets of the kingdom. In fact, that's exactly what Matthew, the author of the gospel, uh, tells us Jesus is doing here. He makes a little comment, so if you turn over to that, it's it's verses uh, 34 and 35. It's always interesting when the the writer, the gospel writer, sort of brings in his own comments. And this is one of Matthew's. He's quoting from Asaph in Psalm 78, and he comments, Jesus spoke all of these things to the crowd in parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. And this is what it did. So was fulfilled 
what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Psalm 78 is a song in the Old Testament. tells some of the history of the people of Israel. And as it does so, Asaph uncovers the secret plans and purposes of God, which have all been hidden under the surface. And that's really what Jesus is doing here too. But why is he doing it? Well, I hope you'll see to know that Jesus' purpose here is basically that we keep going, that we keep going as his disciples. That's, that's it really, keep going, however bad things may seem. Even when evil and wickedness seems perilously close and dangerous, even when justice seems elusive, even when we feel small or beleaguered and insignificant, that Jesus encourages us to understand what's going on in the present and believe what he says about the future. And once we've seen those things, keep going. And in the rest of our time this evening, we're just going to explore that a little more deeply in, under two headings and two parts. First of all, looking at the, uh, what's called the parable of the weeds in verses uh, 24 through to 30. And uh, then Jesus' explanation in verses 36 to 43. Uh, keep going in the face of evil, Jesus will tell us. And then looking at the two short parables in the middle of our passage, uh, keep going when you feel small. So first then, are you perhaps feeling uh, tonight that evil is a little too close for comfort? Well, says Jesus, keep going in the face of evil. Keep going in the face of evil. Understand why things are the way they are in the present and believe what Jesus says about the future and keep going. Uh, we begin the story in verse 24, uh, back over the page if you've lost sight of it. And uh, this you can see that the story Jesus tells here is another farming story. A man sows good seed in his field, verse 24. His enemy sows weeds in the same field. These are called tares in some of the older translations. This is sometimes called the parable of the tares. Uh, they could apparently be a, a type of ryegrass, uh, which looks like wheat in its early stages of growth. But anyway, whatever it is, it's something that looks quite like wheat. And there's a time, there's a period when both wheat and weeds appear, sort of living alongside one another, growing together. And a decision really needs to be made about what to do about this situation. So the servants come to the owner and ask him. And the owner says, interestingly, do nothing. Verse 29, why is that? Well, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Wait for the time of the harvest, he says. Then the, the, the weeds or the tares can be collected first and tied into bundles and to be burned and the wheat gathered and brought into the barn. And uh, that really is it. Uh, that's the end of, end of the story. And Jesus starts is another story. Now I guess um, on its own we could perhaps work out that this story has got something to do. Something to do with the presence of evil. Because uh, the weeds, uh, we're told, are sown by an enemy. Uh, but beyond that, it is, uh, we would have to say, a little hard to make sense of on its own. So it's interesting, once again, as we've seen over this week, 
uh, Jesus is throwing us down a challenge. This is the point where we might be tempted to give up and uh, walk away and say, you know, I can't be bothered with any of this. I don't understand a word of it. What's he on about? But to those who want to hear, those who are willing to be patient and to wait for understanding, it's remarkable. Again, the explanation does come. You know, we have to wait until Jesus has told a couple more stories. Uh, But once he's done that, we're encouraged again to join with Jesus' disciples. The crowd is dispersing, for they want to know more, and they approach Jesus, and like them, we're encouraged to seek understanding. And the explanation does come, and uh, you can see it over in verses 37 through to 39. Jesus answers as they ask him what the parable means. Verse 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's, that's him, Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. And with this key, we can unlock two really vital truths that are so important if we're to keep going in the Christian life. And the first of those truths helps us to understand why things are the way they are. That is, understand why things are the way they are in the present. Come back with me. Sorry we're having to flick over the pages over and over again. Come back with me, with me to the original story uh, back in 24 through to 30. Now, uh, what Jesus doesn't do here is tell us where evil came from in the first place. We do have to take that as given, do have to accept that. But what he does tell us, and this is what is really going to help us, what he does tell us is something about why evil is allowed to persist in the present, at least for the moment. Look at verse 28 again. The servants come to Jesus and they say, uh, come, come, to the, come to the owner and say, do you want us to go and pull up these weeds? They, 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 I think, want the weeds to be removed. But the owner says, no, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the weeds with them. They can't be, not without damaging the wheat. Uh, remember that the, the, the wheat represents the sons or people of the kingdom sown from good seed. The weeds represent the sons of the evil one. So it seems that for the time being, evil can't be removed without affecting the survival of the people of the kingdom. Or to put it another way, if God were to bring justice too soon, then the kingdom could end up entirely empty, entirely empty of people. I guess uh, doctors face this kind of problem all the time. You know, a growth or a tumour needs to be removed but uh, let's say it's too close to some vital organ. An operation now would kill the patient. Surgery isn't possible in this case. And likewise here. Now Jesus doesn't explicitly say here why why evil can't be removed without affecting the survival of the people of the kingdom. Uh, But I think it is worth our while pausing just for a moment and reflecting on that. Why is there this delay 
in the justice of God, the universal justice of God against evil, removing all of those weeds. And of course, we want to know the answer to that, don't we? Uh, On the one hand, we we would dearly love evil to be removed from the world as soon as possible. Uh, think of the, the horrors on that Tunisian beach just over a week again. Uh, we see something like that and we feel it. Uh, some of us might even know people involved and we cry out, how long is this going to go on, Lord? Uh, or think back to the sort of utterly ruthless videoed beheadings by ISIL over the last few years uh, with even more brutal executions reported just yesterday. So many things we could think about. Think back, though, to, uh, to Norway, 2011. Anders Brevink, who shot 69 people dead, 69 young people dead, for hardly any reason at all. And again, we cry out, how long is this going to keep happening, Lord? How can we live amongst this? Or perhaps evil we encounter is a little closer to home. I imagine many of us here will have uh, known People who have suffered physical abuse in the home. Or perhaps sexual abuse at the hands of a, a predator. Maybe you yourself have been the victim of those kinds or similar kinds of evil. Or worse. And the closer it gets, the louder we cry. How long, O oh Lord? So that's on the one hand. We desperately would love evil to be removed from this world. But on the other hand, are we sure that we want justice to come so soon? So I think about myself, for example, and I ask, in the end, apart from the mercy of God, what is the difference between me and Anders Brevik? Now you might say that's absurd. Anders Brevik is a monster. But no, it's not absurd. Uh, you see, when I examine my own heart, uh, especially in the light of Scripture, uh, when I think of all my thoughts and motives and anger and lust, many of the actual actions, uh, well, the sober truth is, it does seem to me that even if, thank God, I haven't expressed evil to the same extent, and as Anders Brevik, for example, I still stand in the base, same basic category. In my heart, there is the same basic resistance to God, which lies at the root of all evil. Which means, of course, that if uh, justice and judgment were to come, I would wonder to myself, how could I survive it? It means that in the end, the only substantial difference between us between me and somebody like Anders Brevik, is in me, the justice against evil has been done in Jesus, in my place on the cross. We were singing about it earlier. My sins nailed to the cross. So for myself, I'm therefore, you know, very deeply grateful for the delay in God's judgment of evil. How could I have become part of what Jesus has done unless there'd been a delay? Or we might think about others uh, too. Uh, Just think about the people who've become 
Christians in this last year here at Christchurch? Are we not in some senses grateful for the delay so that they could do that? Or think of the, the people that you would love to become Christians. Are you not grateful, at least in, in one sense, for their sakes, for the delay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor and theologian uh, serving in the midst of uh, Nazi Germany in the last century. He was, in fact, eventually shot dead by the Nazis just before the end of the Second World War. It's hard to imagine that kind of situation, isn't it? Um, a sort of a wheat plant. He was a faithful Christian, a wheat plant, surrounded, closed in by weeds. But it's interesting, even in that situation, uh, he talked about the reluctance he felt in calling down God's judgment in all the extreme, on all the extreme evil that was going on around him. Now, why was that? It was because, as he once wrote, as a sinner, I too am under this judgment. As a sinner, I too am under this judgment. Indeed, he went on. It was only as he looked back to the cross of Jesus and thought about that, that he was able to look forward positively to the judgment because he could see that on the cross, and I quote, God's vengeance fell not on the sinner, but only on the sinless one, the Son of God, who took the sinner's place. That's the opportunity the delay in God's judgment brings about. So yes, as we witness and encounter evil, it is right and good to cry out, how long, O Lord? In fact, Jesus encourages us to do pretty much that as we pray, Father, may your kingdom come. But we pray that. We pray that knowing that the only protection from the coming judgment for sinful and evil people, uh, that's us, by the way, the only protection lies in Jesus who bears that judgment for us. In fact, that's why Jesus came in the first place. To prepare the sons of the kingdom for that judgment. That's what the delay is for. So while the delay persists, we make every effort to depend upon Jesus and call others to do the same. And knowing that there's a reason for the delay makes a huge difference, doesn't it? It especially means that I can fully believe what Jesus says about the future. The fact that there's a delay doesn't mean that the judgment isn't coming. The judgment surely is coming. And as I believe what Jesus says about the future more fully, then that can make all the difference as I persevere among evil in the present. Uh, You see, if you turn over to verse 41 here, that the kingdom will be weeded in the end. Verse 41, the kingdom will be weeded. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. We did of all the causes of evil and of evil itself. And what difference does that make? Well, what it means is when I'm personally wronged by evil now, it, do, it means that I don't have to take the, if you like, the weeding into my own hands. I can entrust it to God. 
You know, so it might be right for me to expose injustice. That's a great thing to do. It might be right for me to campaign against injustice. Also a great thing to do. But knowing that the judgment is coming means that I can also endure injustice, knowing that justice will come. I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to take justice into my own hands. Amazingly, I'm freed to forgive. Extraordinarily, I can even start loving my enemies and praying for them, even as they hate me. And verse 42 here, this is what happens to evil people apart from the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. This is what happens to them, thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Evil is frightening, sometimes really frightening. But I think you'll agree verse 42 here is more frightening. So I cling more tightly to Jesus and his saving work which rescues me from that future. And I don't give in. I don't give in to evil. I don't deny him. Never. In verse 43, there will be great blessing, great blessing for those made righteous by Jesus. A bright future without evil, either around us or within us. And so we joyfully use the delay before the judgment to do what it's there for which is to make disciples of Jesus in every nation. So through this parable, Jesus is then calling us to patience in the face of evil. It's not yet going to go away. So to some extent, at least, we're going to have to live with it. But as we do, there is no deep, there's no need for doubts to creep in or our faith to diminish or our confidence to falter. I hope you'll remember that next time you switch on the news or open a newspaper and uh, see what's happening. So you can say to yourself, ah, yes, ah, yes, a weedy wheat field, just like Jesus said. Remember, there's a good reason for the delay. And remember, it will all be cleared up in the end. But what about those times when evil seems so dominant and we feel so small and helpless that the, the sense of despair simply won't go away? Well, that takes us to the, the verses in the middle of our passage, this verses 31 through to 33. Two stories to help you keep going when you feel small. Keep going when you feel small. And given where Matthew places this, we probably ought to say in particular, keep going when you feel small in the face of evil, when you feel beleaguered and outnumbered. This is what Jesus tells us. He says, under the surface, behind the scenes, this is how the kingdom of the heavens works. At the beginning, we have a mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds. In the end, we have the largest of garden plants, uh, even a tree. Uh, or take the next verses. Under the surface, behind the scenes, this is how the kingdom of heaven works, says Jesus. At the beginning, uh, we have a, a, a tiny, tiny piece of yeast or leaven. And then a very, very large quantity of flour. About 13 liters of it, weighing about 30 kilograms. And uh, I imagine if you were faced with that baking task, you might well wonder, how on earth is this going to work? But in the end, 
we have a huge piece of dough that is all worked through, enough to make an awful lot of bread. In fact, that particular image is is a particularly subversive one, I think, because leaven working through dough or yeast working through dough is often used in the Bible to illustrate something bad working through something good and spoiling it. But when it comes to the kingdom of the heavens, says Jesus, it's all the other way around. We might expect the evil to be growing all the time, but actually it's going to be the other way around. In the kingdom of the heavens, heaven and earth are reunited into one unified kingdom and they will be filled completely with life and blessing, filling everything. Small beginnings, large results, very simple really, and very relevant. Very relevant, for example, for those of us uh, trying to remain faithful to Jesus in the Church of England at the moment. Uh, I mean faithful to the real Jesus, uh, revealed to us by the Spirit through the pages of the Bible. At the moment, we'd have to confess the numbers feel very small, and uh, many feel discouraged, uh, beleaguered, despairing, outnumbered. It feels like a, a very very weedy wheat field. Uh, More like a weed field, in fact. This was a very relevant truth, Um, this growing from small to big. Very relevant for the very small number of Christians from this church family who went a few years ago to the Gledis Valley to to join, again, a very small number of Christians in that area where they would have felt outnumbered many thousands of times over. It's very relevant for us here in Sheffield, thinking about uh, our plans to plant churches and again the huge numbers involved across the city. Relevant as we think about the whole of Yorkshire uh, with, so they say, uh, a lower proportion of Christians than an overtly non-Christian nation like Japan. Very relevant too for, for Peter and Morag and for Carrie and Abby, uh, I suspect, as they head off to, to Burkhead. Small in number, going to a church, small in number, especially in certain generations. I find this very relevant for the training here in Fullwood. You know, I'm very grateful for the numbers we have being trained on Thursdays and Saturday mornings and on the ministry trainee scheme. But let me confess that it does feel quite isolated and small, certainly small compared to the enormous task that seems to be ahead of us of trying to reform the denomination or reach out even to Sheffield, let alone the whole of Yorkshire. But again, these parables help us to understand the way, uh, why things are the way they are. Why are things the way they are? Well, according to these parables, it's because the plan is always to start small. In fact, as we look across the Bible, that does seem to be the way that God works. For God, the plan is always to start small. So all humanity, from just two people. The promise of blessing given to just one person, Abraham, and then his family, one family. And of course, the blessing of the gospel comes through one man, Jesus Christ, then spreading to a very small number of disciples. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why the plan always seems to work that way, but we might reflect Um, This way, as the the people of God and the 
blessing of God spreads and grows from small beginnings, it is always much more clear that the power and authority behind that growth comes from God himself. So think about those first 11 disciples beginning the process of taking uh, their witness of Jesus out to the nations. What small beginnings. Extraordinary, really. Humanly speaking, would you bet on, on that becoming a worldwide movement, spreading to millions in every part of the globe? Well, no way. It's a, it's a miracle that all those obstacles were overcome time and time again. So when I cry, why does it have to be like this? This is very helpful to remember, isn't it? Ah, yes, I remember. It always starts small. God's power through our weakness. His glory, not ours. So instead, I am encouraged then to believe again what Jesus says about the future. The plan may start small, but it ends with filling the world. Remember, this is the gospel, the momentous news of the nearness of the kingdom of the heavens. The time is coming when heaven and earth, currently split apart by our sin and rebellion, they're going to be joined back together into one truly united kingdom, encompassing, well, encompassing absolutely everything. That image there in verse 32 of birds perching in a tree which grew from a tiny seed is an image we'll find across the Bible, across the Old Testament, to describe, describe vast kingdoms. I remember all that dough in, in verse 33, enough to feed a whole village. The kingdom will encompass everything, the whole world, heaven and earth together. Uh, so while I, I do care deeply about the Church of England, uh, working hard, in fact, uh, with others to change and reform things, it, it doesn't actually, when I reflect on this, shake my confidence in the future if things don't look good. Because, Jesus tells me, the kingdom is unstoppable. If the numbers are squeezed in one place, they'll just spring up somewhere else. And if we feel small in number in Yorkshire, remember that if it wasn't for the extraordinary, miraculous growth in the past, the gospel would never even got as far as Yorkshire in the first place. There's no reason why the Lord can't do the same again. And sure, I'd love it if, if you know, we were training even more people. But then I think about it. If each person we train goes on to teach and train others and each of them does the same then that could result in something couldn't it what could the Lord do through that all to his glory so as we finish I guess the question you you may be asking at this point is uh, have I been forced to become an optimist after all Uh, well yes in a way but actually only in a way See, what uh, Jesus uncovers for us here is, is not a simple choice between being a Tigger or an Eeyore. Uh, when the truth about the kingdom of the heavens is uncovered before us, um, it calls us actually to a completely new way of thinking, which is neither purely optimistic nor purely pessimistic. It's a, a complete change of mind, isn't it? A change of mind, which on the one hand is utterly realistic, about the presence of evil, the dangers of evil, the evil of evil. Uh, But on the other hand, because the kingdom of the heavens is near, 
And there's a very, very good reason for the delay in justice. And yet justice will surely come. Our attitude to that evil is utterly transformed. We are not surprised by it. We are not overwhelmed by it. And so we can love and serve and make disciples like a tigger who's had a little bit too much sugar. Well, let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we do confess that we are frequently dismayed as we uh, look around us, uh, both at the evil uh, in the world generally, the evil that is close, uh, the unbelief that is close as well. It does dismay us. We know that it dismays you too. Uh, help us to be realistic about these things. But help us also as we've seen tonight, to have real confidence in the future. Uh, To have real optimism in that sense. To understand that why there's a delay and to make use of that delay in every way that we possibly can to bring people under the saving purposes of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen.